No, I'm saying I don't believe that black right-wing people shouldn't exist. Of course they should exist. That is like there's diversity of thought and there's diversity of people. But if you can only have, if you can only believe in diversity and that it matters when people agree with you, that's a problem. And that's a problem on both sides, you know? Welcome to the Not Bane podcast, your weekly rundown of UK politics from a black millennial view. Every Sunday, join Corey and me, Bay, your resident centre lefty, as we look at Parliament, the headlines and stories from across the pond and the diaspora. Hello and welcome to another episode of Not Bane podcast. Corey is going to start us off as he always does with a rundown of PMQ, so let's get into it. Yes, yes. This week, the uh, third to last of the year. I don't know if there's a word for the one before penultimate, but yes, third to the last one before the summer break. Most questions, as you can imagine, were based around the the Euro Championship final, which ended last Sunday. And more importantly, the racist fallout, which came about as a result of the game. Uh, So for those who weren't watching, for the two people in the country who don't know what happened last weekend, England lost the Euro football Euro final against... Who are they playing against again? Italy. Yeah, that one. <laughs> I'm not a football fan, clearly. Yes, lost the game. However, it went to penalties and the final three penalties were missed. All penalties, all of those three penalties were taken by uh, three of England's black players. And as my WhatsApp and my Twitter feeds went, as soon as the last goal was missed, the predictions which were made of racism, well, unfolded over the next 24 hours. Um, it was it was mad that the minute the last one was missed, uh, somebody messaged me on WhatsApp and was like, oh, okay, yeah, they're going to come after black people now. They're going to go after the black players now. And so they did, they being a mixture of online folks um, from Twitter and elsewhere online, in addition to people uh, desecrating, I was trying to think of another word, uh, vandalising the a mural of Marcus Rashford in Manchester. Of course, Marcus Rashford was one of the players. So yes, a lot of racism came about as a result of that, as many expected. And so the first five questions for Keir Starmer of his six were all based around asking the Prime Minister about various things, including comments that he has made in not condemning kneeing, uh, where the England players take the knee before football games. He also brought up the Home Secretary Priti Patel's comments about the knee, taking the knee just being gesture politics Um, and to which the Prime Minister responded with a mixture of we're the most diverse cabinet in the country we are the party who have had two female Prime Ministers we are the party that has the first Muslim Chancellor and the first Muslim Health Secretary that being Sajid Javid and uh, also uh, the as it was Priti Patel who criticised kneeling as gesture politics Keir Starmer obviously brought that up to which Boris Johnson a couple of times just put pretty right at the front as a big shield and weaponized the racism that has been you that has been levied against her to basically say essentially you can't criticize her um i mean it goes without saying that the racism that pretty themselves faced is also equally as disgusting as the racism that the players faced but it's also interesting that it's only ever brought up by a certain side of uh politics oh, i was gonna say a certain a certain spec- <laughs> spectator, yeah, they had a piece too. Anyway, a certain group on, uh, only seemed to have brought that up uh, when it comes to using her experiences to defend them, which I think is pretty sick. And if I was her, I'd be uh, very miffed that people were using my experiences to uh, deflect against their awful record. So there was a lot of 
you know, platitudes from both sides, really, both from Keir Starmer and from Boris Johnson about how the England team symbolises the best of England, the best of Britain, well, both, I guess, the best of Britain, you know, uh, the diversity. I think they both used the word diverse about 10,000 times. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, I think uh, Keir had a nice little line about uh, instead of giving racism the red card, Boris has given it the green light. Uh, and um, essentially accused him of stoking the culture wars, you know, asked him to, his first question was very direct, you know, do you condemn um, the, the uh, do you stand by your previous comments where you refuse to condemn actions against racism, sort of trying to trap him into saying, yes, I did condemn things which were against racism. Obviously, he did not respond to that directly. He'd be a fool to, and he didn't. Uh, the last thing he did, which was um, also interesting, there was a Conservative MP for Plymouth earlier in the week, basically came out and broke ranks and said, uh, yeah, we have been stoking this. Uh, he sort of agreed with England football player Tyrone Mings, who went viral on Tuesday when he tweeted basically saying that the Home Secretary doesn't get to now uh, be aghast and and disgusted with racism when she stoked the fire in the first place. Um, so that, that caused a lot of, a bit of a furor earlier in the week. And then for a Conservative MP to basically come out a day later and say, yeah, he was right. We are, we have been doing it. Um, I thought it was, uh, thought it was a good thing. You know, I, I mean, it's obvious to anybody with eyes that they have been stoking culture war. Boris Johnson said he, he does, ha he has no intentions of stoking the culture wars. Um, I listened to it and just thought you effing liar um, because it's obviously not true. Anyway, last question uh, was, as I said, those were the first five questions. Last question was about the announcement this week that uh, there is going to be, or that there are plans to give full amnesty uh, with regards to the troubles in Northern Ireland over the last half of the last century. Basically, a uh, uh, complete amnesty on both from both sides um, for 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 actions committed during the troubles. Uh, Keir Starmer seemed to disagree with that. Seemed to invoke the memory of people who have who died in the troubles and essentially using his previous background as the director of public prosecutions to basically say uh yeah people need justice um so it does look like uh there's going to be that looks like that's going ahead and well yeah you had something to say i think Keir has an issue with bandwagoning with when it, especially when it comes to um any sort of culture war issue or issue dealing with racism or you know social good etc it's very much a case of what like we've brought up before labor is afraid to even address any of this stuff head on so they just they don't talk about it until it comes to a head and they can see that you know the, the sway of public opinion is in favor of it and then they decide that actually you know mm, yes racism is bad mm, you know deciding that footballers attempting to make a stand against racism in the why in the wider world but also within the sport from the fans from the um their other players is a good thing he's not able to even come out and say that until everybody else including the footballers and themselves and there's a public sway can come out and bring that up at the dispatch box so it's kind of like it's it's fine that he's bringing it up but it just all feels a bit lukewarm and milk toast to be honest it's not believable it's just jumpy like, whatever very it's very I was gonna say it's very upsetting but I don't think upsetting is the right word is disappointing he should be on the front foot one as a human rights lawyer one as a leader of the opposition and one is supposedly somebody who believes in um, equality and anti-racism 
etc etc why are you consistently caught on the back foot for this for goodness sake you know when Pretty Patel was saying that in, not encouraging but saying that it's fine if, if home fans are booing the national team for calling out racism and calling it cultural Marxism why are you not combating that why are you not pointing out the fact that even the phrase cultural Marxism is based in anti-semitism what are you doing what are you doing nothing so there was a lot of talk this week about footballers staying out of politics and how it's basically not their place um it's you know it's convenient that <laughs> one of the uh, one of the people there was an MP who uh, who who said that he said you know essentially he was talk, responding to Tyrone Mings's tweet and said you know uh, <laughs> something like don't fo focus a bit less on politics or something like that um, and then a, a tweet of his from about a year ago was then unearthed where he's praising he was praising uh, what's his face Sol Campbell and his stance on Brexit and so the question is uh, do footballers just stay out of politics when they're playing. Um, and then get back into it or when they're retired? Or is it okay if they're playing just as long as they agree with you? So um, footballers and politics. Are footballers allowed views? Are footballers allowed to... Because there is an argument, isn't there, that they are that influential um, and because they're not elected, but because they have that much influence, their their opinion and their sharing of their opinion isn't the same as just the average man sharing his opinion. No, that's not what... <laughs> People say that, I'm just saying. <laughs> that's, what are you talking about? That'd be silly. That's ridiculous. That no, is, people say that because oh, of their so, outsized... Oh, wait, oh, wait. All right, so if people have, people have celebrity or people have power or influence, they shouldn't have, they shouldn't express their political views. No, that's dumb. You should be able, whether you're, you know, you agree with me or not, everyone has a right to political view. Um, unless they, you know, based in law or have a specific... Um, job where they can't talk about their political views for I don't know they signed a contract of course they should be allowed to have political views whether they agree with me or not don't be silly that's why are we um curtailing people's free speech based on the fact that they play football and people enjoy them if they were all we've you know if 50 percent of them were pro Boris no one would be saying that it's just because it is a um a lot of players tend to be working class or come from working class backgrounds. So they're talking, they want to talk about that. They want to um, limit their speech. That's ridiculous. Maybe it's good because they're people who have experienced what it is like to grow up working class all over the country and have been um, trans transferred the transference to, you know, essentially a wealth class rather than, um, you know, the upper class transference to a wealth class it's perfect for them to, one, use their platforms to address the things that they see as systemic that they may have experienced, use their platforms to garner change for things that they care personally about, and use their platforms to talk about things that are important to them or to the wider society. I mean, what is wrong with being against children being hungry? You know, some, some footballers champion breast cancer, would we, be, we wouldn't want them to talk about that. No. Where does it start? Where does it stop? Of course, they should be able to use their platforms for good and mild ill if they want to, to be honest, as long as it's, they're not you know, encouraging mass robbings or crime. If they want to use their platform to cuss Pretty Patel, who are we to stop them? It's interesting you bring up uh, feeding hungry children because uh, Marcus Rashford was also the subject of uh, a polit politician's attack. And there was a, a, leaked what's, a leaked message from a WhatsApp group of Tory MPs, presumably straight after the game on, uh, on Sunday night. <clears throat> and... The MP in question essentially uh, implied that if he had been focusing more on football, 
he might have scored a penalty, which, I mean, in sporting terms, is ridiculous. Um, but I think it speaks again to, I guess, how they speak to each other. It's an int- I, I, like, I like these And their leaks. view of us as the public. Yeah. It just it feels like they just hold us in utter contempt and disregard. They don't value us as individuals at all. I mean, what kind of, like, you know, everyone has you know, private banter. But oh no! If he ha- if only he hadn't focused on feeding the children, because this because this is what we have to be specific about. They calling they're calling it politics. Marcus Rashford was not engaging in politics. Marcus Rashford was engaging in a specific cause, and the specific cause was feeding children, which I personally don't think. Maybe it's political to other people, but I don't think hungry children is political. It should cover the spectrum of politics, whereas children who are you know are minors should not go hungry because they don't have the means to feed themselves. I think what the argument that? I think the argument that it of it being political was the was the fact that it was going against government policy and 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 publicly challenging government policy. I think that's where they would say it was political. But that's then that begs the question how comes the government policy isn't feed the children? Just for reference for anybody's not aware um last uh, well throughout the pandemic uh, Marcus Rashford was campaigning uh, for a number of things when it comes to uh, uh, children who were going hungry, but particularly um, for campaigning for schools to, or well, campaigning for free school meals to be extended to holidays, because obviously with the with the pandemic, a lot of parents uh, being made redundant, um, losing work, not having access to work. So that's just for a bit of background, what he was campaigning for. And his uh, mural in Manchester. So he's got a bit, there's a mural in one of the areas that he grew up in in Manchester. And that on, I believe it was Monday night, was vandalized. Uh, so somebody sprayed uh, something racially charged over it. Uh, it was then covered up. And then it became a big, uh, pretty big national story because as a result, the day after, you know, you had hundreds of people turning up outside the mural, outside the mural um, just, you know, trying to, essentially trying to, a mixture of people washing down. The, the abusive language that was put on it and sort of redesigning it. And then the actual street artist who actually uh, made it in the first place, uh, there was a big thing where he came out and essentially redid it. Uh, so, 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 yeah, so he... Can you define racially charged, please? You mean what was actually said? No, what do you mean by racially charged? Oh, okay, racist. I wasn't trying to get out of saying racist. I, it's just no, I know, but I just wanted to like when you say racist, it was, it was yeah, mean? racist. It was it was it was it was um, it 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 a message was sprayed on it, which was mm-hmm. racist. That's what I meant. Okay, all right, cool. So <laughs> I wasn't trying to do the whole thing of no, I know, but I know, but then, but you see how even the language that like, you weren't trying to do that. You're a black person, and yet you've self censored for reasons unknown. Because that's become Perhaps. the way that we talk. That's all. That's become the way that we talk about racism and racist acts in the country. Is that we pontificate about what they actually mean? Fair enough. Racially insensitive. No, Racial undertones. Insensitive. No, it was just racist. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, let's call a, a thing what it is. Mm. Like words have power and they mean things. Let's use them. Yeah. yeah okay. Moving on. So Keza's going on tour. <laughs> Keza. Well, you know, I mean, kind of no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, go on, Kessa. He's trying to, you know, he's trying to loosen up his image. He's trying to shed this image of this dull, you know, soapy water, boring, you know, 
paint by numbers lawyer guy he wants he's trying to get his personality out there you know because he has to combat with um boris's uh, personality and charisma so he's trying to get out there and meet the voters so keir starmer is leaving the westminster bubble that he's been stuck in since covid hit and he's exploring britain he's going around for the summer he's going to be visiting parts of the uk um meeting with voters ex-labor voters to be specific but not just ex-Labour voters, but he'll be taking questions from ex-Labour voters to find out what the issue is, to find out why they're not voting for Labour, what they can do to um, encourage Labour's um, ex-Labour voters to come back. And it has been interesting. His first stop was in Blackpool, where he met with ex-Labour voters, which were chosen by an independent polling body. Some hadn't voted for Labour as far back as 2000 and um, 1997 they gave a number of reasons for not voting them um the iraq war was one of the reasons um blair was one of the reasons um gordon brown calling somebody bigoted for being bigoted was one of the reasons as well bigoted old women so that was one of the reasons as well um I would love to be able to tell Keir or talk to Keir about why I don't vote Labour anymore. Um, but I doubt he's trying to hear from me as I'm an ethnic in the city. So I d- he counts on my vote. Or he, he takes my vote for granted and couldn't give a toss what I think. But, you know, maybe if I change my postcode to Skegness, he might call me up. Sorry, that was a bit spicy, but I'm slightly irritated. Um, you know, I would say... It was not that it was underwhelming, but it was just a lot of the people who he spoke to seem to have this, the um, similar talking points that have been coming out in the press for years, you know, associating Labour with debt, associating Labour with, you know, being lax on immigration, immigration or caring too much about ethnic minorities and not caring enough about people in um, the towns or the Red Wall, but I wouldn't call the Black Wall Blackpool, the Red Wall, but in, you know, in smaller towns outside of the bigger cities. Um, and I think he, the thing about Keir Starmer is that not that he's, I think he, um, he's not very good at giving his, like putting his thoughts and opinions across. I don't know if he actually has any opinions that aren't, you know, focus grouped essentially, which is part of the problem. It's kind of, you know, when he was on LBC and somebody called up and was spouting off the, the um, great replacement theory that, you know, the, the black and browns are going to be replacing white people. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, combat that. He just lets it go on and on and on and on and on and on. So when he is faced with things that, yes, there is um, political views, but there's also the truth. There's also statistics, but the, none of those things come up. And it's not about debating with people. It's just about giving people the full information so that their views can be informed. Whether they agree with you or not, it's fine, but he doesn't even do that. So that, for me, is something that I have an issue with Keir with regardless. He also spoke to some Blackpool teenagers um, who were some politics students at a Catholic school who also and spoke to him about climate change, about jobs, about regeneration of the area, about child poverty. So that was really interesting. It was really good for him to get, because teenagers have political opinions and this idea that the young, pe- young people don't care or that they care about the wrong things. They don't, you know, they don't know how the world works is untrue because I have been in po- into politics since I was very young. 
and I've cared about politics and I've gone to politics events since I was young because it's something that I'm passionate about. So this idea that young people don't care or are ill-informed is um, rubbish. I mean, we can see that from the, the groundswell that Corbyn and even Ed Miliband had is that young people care about politics, are engaged in politics and are looking for people to engage in the politics that they care about. The Green Party does well with young people. Um, also, I think this was really interesting is that a lot of the people that he spoke to in Blackpool, the, the older people talked about young people being on furlough and supposedly not wanting to work and just wanting to live off the doll, which most people know, I would, I would say is a, um, an untrue characterization. More young people than ever have gone to university and I'm pretty sure they didn't do it because they don't want to get a job. They are looking for work. The work is not there or the, the work is limited or the amount of pay is not enough to be able to live on. So those are the issues that we need to be talking about is increasing the wage, increasing the living wage, increasing the minimum wage. But of course, Keir didn't, you know, provide any rebuttal to that. He sort of just nodded along and was like, yes, in fact, the under 25s are lazy scroungers who don't want to work. Because, you know, young people don't vote Labour at all. They're all definitely voting for the Conservatives. So he should really, alienating them is a, a great political strategy, in fact. Corey. Um, I mean, I think you'd be prime for his focus. You could be in his focus group. I mean, that's what they go for, isn't it? The sort of Islington Chatterati. And you're not part of that. Do you, don't <laughs> even get me started because Islington <laughs> is one of the most... Um, deprived and underfund, um, underfunded boroughs. You know, it's got a large percentage of child poverty. poverty. So this characterization of this, like you say, North London, airy, mm. fairy, leafy suburb in the heart. Is the one they use? Uh, metropolitan elite. Yeah, that's the metropolitan elite. Like, for goodness, people can be from North London. There's nothing wrong with being from North London. It's an area in London. Like, what, what is that even about? It's like the idea, like, you know, North London is, is a large amount of um, London and it's full of poverty. Mm. Every borough in London has, you know, a rich side and a poor side. That's how London is. Look, I mean, a lot of this just comes from the fact that- It's annoying. Yeah, but a lot of this just comes from the simple fact that the Conservatives are masters at messaging and and Labour are trash. Oh, every other side is trash. The Conservative parties are master master of messaging. Mm. Um, But they're not, excuse me, for the many, not the few, for the many, not the few, was a banging message. (laughs) Yeah, but one, ever. And who did that really resonate with? I mean, I don't mean the message. I just mean the actual uh, black people, impact um, beyond, beyond people who were already going people to vote who, Labour. People, people who were, no, no, no. People who were never voted before. People who d- did not even register to vote, who were not even registered to vote, were voting, were voting. They were getting grime artists out. Mm. You know, not little, not little small. No, 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 no. Not little, small, small, big ones coming out in favour of the Labour Party. That hasn't happened before. So, like... We find, you know that era is over and it's fine but this discounting now because young people yes yes young people young people who had never voted young people people who were not engaged in politics at all yeah. so I think let's, this just this talking down because it's young people and ethnic minorities that were engaged so it doesn't matter like dead that let's dead that i'm sorry i think though you, you're talking about you meant you referred to in your, your in your opener you referred to the fact that a lot of the people who he was talking to this week in blackpool were um uh, just trotting out with talking points, as you said. Um, and but at the end of the day, whether, whether you like it or not, I know 
never said they were talking points. I think they definitely these are their. Deep no, but you said talking. Absolutely. Yeah, but you did say talking points, like the. Uh, well, I didn't, you I mentioned... didn't, but I didn't mean it like that. It was just these were their talking points because they were given. They were asked, you know, what matters to them. I definitely think that these are their deeply held beliefs. Okay. I don't think that is, you know, just you know, Daily Mail headlines. I think people believe these things. Of course, they do. Yeah, have, and so I, people might call my beliefs talking points, but they're also beliefs. Yeah, and so I guess. All right, fair enough. You you don't see them as let's say mere talking points or imbibed talking points without any critical thinking. But a lot, the fact is, a lot of the sort of more, a lot of the establishment left do or the establishment centre left just see these people as imbibing Daily Mail talking points. And to use the words of Gordon Brown, they're all just ignorant, bigoted, no, bigoted women. Or bigoted please men, stop, as he said. Please stop doing that accent. And the woman was bigoted, wasn't she? You don't think that she was bigoted? I didn't say she wasn't bigoted. Let, let oh, me land. Okay. Let me land. So comment. Let's pretend okay, this is clubhouse. Let, let me land. Yeah, let me land. land. Let me land. Let me land. What I'm trying to say is this: somebody can be bigoted, but it can be a view that's held by a sizable amount of people who you need to vote for you. I'm not saying you you defend or or you approve of or you or you don't even challenge the the bigot the bigotedness of it what i'm trying to say is this a lot of the establishment left just look at a lot of these people especially in the north and just say oh they're just taking on these talking points from the right-wing press yeah they might be but then the question is what are you going to do about it are you just going to sit there on your high horse and say oh they're just bigoted people or it might not even be bigot bigoted points it might just be something that they don't like a political opinion they don't like let's just say it's not big something bigoted point is this you have to address those people you have to you have to take what they say seriously and you, then you have to present your alternative case and your alternative case might even be taking on some of what they say um i.e oh do you think immigration's uh, you think you think immigration is too high so then you take on what they say and then you present them a case of why um of of the benefits, but not simply the, the airy fairy benefits that that you know politicians come out with but the area very very benefits for those people and their individual lives you actually take on what people are saying you deconstruct if you need to but you actually engage you actually present an, an opposing argument so if I that's what he's agree. doing then great but a lot but of he's the not left, doing that a lot of especially the, the sort of establishment left they don't do that and that's why these people will not vote again for them you don't think that the left or they make an attempt to provide the positives for immigration you don't think that that happens no i didn't say that and i didn't say the left i was very specific in saying the okay, establishment the left the I'm talking so you about... don't think so you don't think establishment center left politicians and they might try and make a case for immigration my point is that I'm, I'm talking about the wider issue of all of these different what you refer to as talking points and what they would refer to maybe as mere talking points all of these issues no they don't present a positive case for all of these different things that people come out with they, they don't, don't. Have, don't they might do with one or two have the platform might... to, i don't think the center left have the platform like the right wing do because what the majority of papers build how build them build you would say you say that but the um the center left spend a it lot of their like time do, no no but let me finish what well, you're saying let me land let me the center left um actually consistently do down left media so they they get rid of the platforms that they have because yeah. they, they don't want to engage a bit like yeah you might you might not agree with Owen Jones politics but people watch his shows go and talk to him when Russell Band had the truths David Miliband went on there and it was it, the reach was massive but ne the currently 
the the, um, the center left or the labor right, you know, however you want to categorize it, spend their time doing down left media because they're not trying to talk to, they're not trying to to give, um, they're not trying to combat these arguments or like you say, give a positive positive agreement. They just think that if they agree with um, the conservatives or go to the right of the conservatives, but in a lefty way, that is the way to do it. It's like you said, you need to make positive cases for things. Of course, but they're they're not doing that. And if they they if they do have the platform, their platform is the Guardian. Who yeah. reads the Guardian? I do. A like you said, a specific type of person reads the Guardian. It's not it's not a far reaching paper. At most, they have the Mirror, but they don't even talk to the Mirror. They'd wanted that. Keir Starmer is not writing in the Mirror. He's writing in the Daily Mail. Why are you not writing in the Mirror? And when he is writing in the Daily Mail, he's not making the argument for immigration. He's telling people actually we're gonna, you know, as bows is what's important and we need more police because crime. Crime is not up. So I'm doing across the pond this week and I'll be covering the uh political, not even political really, more like civil unrest in Cuba. There have been widespread um marches and protests in Cuba recently. Um, it is mostly in response to the economic hardship that has been brought along both by the economic sanctions, which they've been under for a number of years and the COVID-19 pandemic. So because um, Cuba has been developing its own vaccines, again, because of the embargo, it's been their number one priority since COVID began. And that's what they've been putting all their state money into. So the state doesn't have any money. So they've got, haven't got any money to import essential medicines, the pharmacies are empty, the supermarkets are empty. So obviously um, the lack of resources People are hungry, there's no jobs, there's no money, there's no food. People have now begun to protest. This has prompted, you know, the usual article after article, people are calling for, you know, time to go in and bomb them into freedom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we, we talked about this again with um, Haiti, actually, this idea of bombing people into freedom is ridiculous you know lift the embargo if that's what you really care about because if you lift the embargo that's what will make the difference but you're not want you don't want to lift lift the embargo because specifically i'll even give you a quote the uh u.s secretary of state um talked about how they um the cuba is failing to meet people's most basic needs however their embargo policy has specifically been designed to create the shortfall and um, President Eisenhower specifically said if the Cuban people are hungry they'll throw Castro out. So the point of the embargo is to eventually starve the country of resources, starve the people of resources so that you create a class of people or a, a, a younger group of people who are coming up who have only ever known deprivation and poverty and think that the way to do that is to have more McDonald's. Um, just some facts for you guys. 20 million a year of US federal funds is spent on democracy promotion in Cuba and specifically in the way that Cubans experience the internet. And so since Cuba got the internet and mobile internet, a lot of anti-Castro funded US websites have gone up and these have been and gone up um, and have advertised on Facebook and YouTube. So when Cubans access the internet and use VPNs, these are the adverts that will be coming up because it's trying to sort of ferment discord to bring about, you know, protests and eventually overthrow etc etc um this was i know it's, it's probably sounding a bit conspiracy theory but it's not this is all based in fact um i don't know how to feel about this i think 
um because the, the, there is a solution the solution is to lift the embargo outside of that i can't see what the solution is there's been now pro-government protests anti-government protests in you know a very rare move a lot of cuban um, musicians have come out and started speaking out against um the, the crackdown on the protests and have talked about calm and trying to bring calm and how the government needs to meditate on the way that it is treating citizens because they have been being heavy-handed and I believe one person has died. So that is a really big sort of sea change in the way that even Cuban celebrities are talking about because they are famously quiet because they don't want to get on the wrong side of the US or on the wrong side of the Cuban government. So they're generally walking a quite a tight line. So it does let you know that things are clearly, the re- unrest is more potent than usual but I like I said I'm outside of lifting the sanctions I'm not sure what else the solution is what do you think Corey? I think it's interesting that no matter what shade of government you have in Washington uh, when it comes to foreign policy they are pretty much aligned um, so whether you've got Democrat or Republican and I think mm-hmm. it, it's a common misconception especially outside of America especially in Europe where we have uh, you know compared to America quite a strong tradition of sort of social democracies, sort of left-ish parties being in power, um, that people often assume that when you have the Democrats in power, whether that's president or the Senate or the Congress, when you've got Democrats in, in positions of power, you think, oh, people think, oh, that that's like what we have in Europe. That's like left-wing parties here. It's, it's like, yeah, conservative nah, 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 nah. party. Um, it really it is. isn't. Uh, and, and you see it, you see it two main areas um, when it comes to foreign policy and then to an extent economic policy too, that um they often just sing from the same hymn, the same hymn, hymn sheet so and this is an area where they do you quoted the secretary of state under a democratic president um you know there's been and then you've had the usual talking buzz i saw from from i heard one uh, uh republican senator use the words democracy and freedom and i was like damn that's like it just made me think of that meme you know where it says um oh oil's on the moon sounds like the, the moon needs some freedom <laughs> uh it's immediately what i thought when he said i was like it's just the same kind of rhetoric of and somebody was somebody else, so was saying, somebody else was saying you know the, the u.s has a right use the word right i was it's quite chilling actually a right to go in um because it's Oof. essentially um that is it one thing, the national interest this is one thing that might sound a bit um wild f- for me but i do think um Trump's well even though he was very you know he, he was the one who brought in the, the further clamping down on sanctions on Cuba Trump's idea of we actually have to stop spending our time being intervest- interventionist around the world and focus our time on um, you know not by American but focus our time on in-country issues rather well, than America first was his phrase wasn't it yeah but I you know not saying America first because that's you know a bit protectionist for me but the idea of not spending your time being consistently interventionist in every country. That was not a bad idea. Why, what is everything, why has everything everywhere got anything to do with you? Have you ever thought of facing your front and minding your business? I mean, it's part of the reason he won in the first, it's part of the reason he won. It, well, yeah, the first time. absolutely. Well, he only won once, God, less than Yeah, that was, that was part of the life. reason he won, yeah. you know. Consistent interventionist policy in absolutely every part of the world is ridiculous. Mind, like, and I get and I know why they're doing it because obviously as a dwindling world power they get their power from being interventionists you know having army bases all around the world you know foreign aid etc etc but come on at some point you, you, you can't keep bombing you cannot bomb everywhere into freedom you can't I mean you could they probably can actually but you shouldn't be 
So I'm doing thought of the week this week and I'm talking about um, the Olympics. And I know everyone's been caught up in the stuff that's been going on with Shikari Richardson. But I wanted to talk about Christine Mboma and Patrice Masilingi, who at 18 years old um, hold the two fastest ever recorded times for the women's 400 metres. But they're not going to be able to compete in the Tokyo Olympics because of their naturally occurring high testosterone levels. And I think these are the stories that we need to be talking about. You know, um, women who are being, there's, there's now specifically only for women athletes as well, testosterone levels that we need to meet and if you are outside of this testosterone levels you either need to undergo surgery or you need to um, take medication which will artificially lower your testosterone levels this is one this is an issue because it only um, there's only these um, sort of tests for women which an issue two it is um, overwhelmingly is affecting African women the whole point of the Olympics is about super, superhuman excellence. It's that you can do something that nobody else can do or not a lot of people can do. That's what an Olympian is. You know, for whatever reason, if it's a genetic, if you've got genetic long arms or genetically long legs, which means that you can run faster, that is, your, that is why you're an Olympian. Everybody doesn't have it. That's the whole point. The idea that um, women having more testosterone which makes them better at a specific type of running that doesn't mean that they're going to be an olympian there'll be lots of women who have higher testosterone levels levels who are not olympians it is um this policy is racist and it has but because a lot of the people women are from countries who don't have the money to um go back and forth in court with the um athletics bodies they're just kicking these people off these teams. So the, the opportunities that these women could have had to change their lives to, you know, for glory and honor, et cetera, those are being taken away just carte blanche because of something that they can't control. And I think it's very unethical to be requiring or essentially forcing women to make the choice to undergo surgery, to change something that's natural about them to meet um, Olympic parameters is disgustingly unethical and some a Nigerian sprinter who decided to have the surgery is now unable to run as she's facing a lot of um, side effects that make her unable to compete at all so these are the these are the stories that we need to be highlighting these are the women that we need to be highlighting rather than talking about somebody who you know made a bad choice once and will be fine and will be able to compete again these women are losing their opportunities and will not be able to run ever they will not, we won't see them at another Olympics. We won't see them at any athletic meets. These are the voices that we need to be amplifying. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at NotBamePod. That's N-O-T-B-A-M-E pod. If you've got a comment or a suggestion for a future show, email us, notbamepod at gmail.com. And if you're listening on iTunes, give us five stars.